You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. What a sweet gig. Big hospitals have abilities like no other industry that I know of. Number one, they get free taxes, which are income, property, and personal property taxes. They've got a free ride. They have the biggest lobby the money can buy. In fact, big healthcare could buy big tech, defense, oil, and Wall Street combined. In other words, they have a $555 million budget uh, for DC and state legislatures. Um, the next four aren't, that, aren't a, that big. They also have the best fundraisers money can buy. A study I saw recently said that of the 50 largest and most successful fundraising organizations, 40 of them are hospitals. They also have the highest medical error rates and the highest burnout rates and the highest, ex the most expensive referral patterns, but that's a whole nother subject. They also have undisclosed ownership in 20% of local health plans, according to another study. They have the coolest ads money can buy. And my favorite advantage they have is they can price to a competitor across the street who's non-hospital, non-system owned four times what they're charging. And essentially, it can charge unlimited, but four times at least. The second favorite thing I like about their game that they have set up is that they have lots and lots of federal and local tax revenue. So if you've heard of a hospital tax, that goes to them. Remember, they're not paying property taxes. They're also getting largesse from the city you live in or the county. And federal dollars go to the teaching hospitals. So the, the average salary for a resident, and there's 90 to 100,000 of them in the country right now, um, is paid by the federal government 100%. And they're billed out at $2.4 million. So I'm getting a free $60,000 salary from the government, essentially, and I'm billing that doctor out at my hospital at $2.4 on average. That is the sweetest deal of all. So in the end, if you're going to go into the business, you might want to go in the hospital business, but not really. There's a whole set of other, other issues but what the person we're talking to today really has uh, an understanding of this unfair game board and has an understanding also of the problems and, situ and the pressures that an independent physician has. Marnie Jameson Carney is the executive director of the Association of Independent Doctors. It's a national nonprofit that was created to stop the trend or at least reverse the trend of healthcare consolidation and corporatization. There's the game plan is to reduce. Uh, out to improve outcomes and reduce costs, and um, they've been successful. They're making a start. She's an award-winning journalist and also past president of a medical marketing firm. She's written four books, and she's had a nationally syndicated column, has been a frequently TV guest and speaker. Uh, since joining AID, she's been featured in over 50 media outlets, including Forbes, NBC, Fox, Bloomberg, and more. So doctors don't really have the time to fight this. She is making that time available for them when they join the association. 
She's addressed lawmakers and position leaders on Capitol Hill numerous times and has spoken at many national conferences. And she works very closely with the FTC to enforce antitrust laws and regularly collaborates with like-minded groups to champion physician autonomy and keep the healthcare relationships between doctors and patients. Marnie, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Ron. So do you disagree with anything I said in my um, sweet gig opening about how (laughs) hospitals have uh, a nice arrangement? Uh, No, it's great work if you can get it. And uh, in fact, we have a little YouTube people might want to look for. It's real short and it's funny. It's called the perfect money-making machine. And it's an animated feature that covers everything you said in a fairly humorous way. But unfortunately, it's true. Yeah. Well, tell me how you got started in this line of business. You went from journalism to advocate. What happened? <laughs> well, I, I hoped as a journalist, I was always somewhat of an advocate. I, I came out of the L.A. Times. I was a health reporter. And, uh, you know, I made a move across country when they said they could use a veteran health reporter at uh, the Orlando Sentinel, which is owned by the Tribune, which is the same company that owned the L.A. Times as well. So I came to Orlando. And, you know, I had a long career as a health reporter. And I thought, well, you know, after leaving L.A., I thought, what could possibly be going on in Orlando of any interest? And, you know, we're a Midland-sized metro, 26th largest in the country behind San Antonio. But we have these two behemoth nonprofit health systems right in the midst. They're a mile away from each other. They're the number fourth largest Florida hospital, which is now calling itself Advent Health, and Orlando Health System, which I think comes in around 11th largest nonprofit. And they were decimating our community. And I really didn't understand all of it at first. And I was trying to write articles about when the hospitals were lobbying to buy a 95 doctor physician practice in town called Physicians Associates. And both of them were really wanting to own these doctors. And what did that mean for patients? And I would try to interview the doctors who really couldn't say much because they're about to be employed by one of these entities. I try to interview the hospitals who is, you know, you know, they don't ever say anything straight and try to ask insurance companies what this means. And they didn't really have anything they could say. So I finally found these two accountants in town who represented about 115 independent medical groups. And they gave me the straight story about what was really going on here. And as I started to report more and more about what was really going on and what this meant for patients, which is nothing good when hospitals acquire medical practices, costs skyrocket, access goes down, quality goes down, competition goes down, and the hospital takes the medical practices taxes right off the tax rolls. Apart from that, it's a great deal. I, uh, I realized that I was getting a little blowback. Unfortunately, I understand journalism is in a tough spot, but it has gotten tougher to be critical of folks who are advertising heavily in your paper. And I was finding that my stories were either getting spiked altogether or seriously watered down. And that got to be frustrating. So anyway, long story short, these two forward-minded CPAs, they, um, they saw what was going on as well, and they decided to start a trade association. They looked around the country and said, gosh, somebody should stop this consolidation. Somebody needs to speak up for independent doctors. Nobody's representing them. And then they did what good Americans do and said, maybe that should be us. And they invited me to the first meeting of the association, the charter meeting April of 2013, and they invited 100 doctors to this meeting, and each of the doctors ponied up $1,000 to create seed money to start this association. I came as a reporter and um, covered the story that this association was getting founded and 
what it was trying to do. And that story made the front page of the Orlando Sentinel and started getting shared around the country. And after that night, about a year went by and uh, they had about a little over 200 members had joined. And it, be got, it got to be more than the two founders could handle with their full-time accounting firm. And they called me to dinner in the summer of 2014 and asked me if uh, I thought they wanted more media, right? Which is what I usually get asked to dinner. And they actually said, this has gotten to be too big for them. They were well enough capitalized now that they could hire an executive director. And by the way, how was journalism going for me? So I, I had um, two kids in college, a single, I was a single mom at the time and thought, well, this might be a good, a good time to make a career change. And I've been able to say what I thought ever since. And it's got, I have actually a lot more freedom uh, in communicating to the, to the media and to the, to the public and to lawmakers and consumers than I, I had before. So that's how I've got here. And I'm, I'm very, very happy and proud of the work that the association has done. I'm too proud of what you're doing. I am obviously completely in agreement with what you're trying to do, but I here's my concern. And I just want to get this out there that I think when you're competing against $555 million of lobbying money, that one out of every eight lobbyists in Washington, D.C. is owned by big health care. I don't know what kind of uphill battle you're fighting, but it seems like almost a uh, quixotic tilt at the windmills. How do you even begin to compete with money, which talks, and Washington? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And, and some days, you know, people say, how's it going at aid? And I'm like, well, I'm going straight uphill without oxygen. How's your job? <laughs> so it's it's hard. And, um, you know, there are glimmers of hope. Uh, we are nonpartisan. And we don't, we don't, we just want the right thing for America. But we have to work with whoever's in the White House. And we, I read the report that uh, the, health, the secretaries of Health and Human Services, Azar and Mnuchin and Acosta wrote from the secretaries of Labor and secretaries of Treasury put together a report in the fall last year to President Trump. It was on, um, they were really recommending greater competition and greater choice for America in order to fix this healthcare system. And all it was a 114-page report, and I was, it was like Christmas. I kept going, they get it. They covered special interests. They covered the consolidation concerns. They covered the fact that consumers aren't allowed to use their HSAs in ways that would really make a free market. They covered the employer premium increases. They covered the mergers and the related increase in costs. They covered the lack of the CONs, the certificates of needs in states that prevent more competition. They covered the problems with physician acquisition. They covered the problems with lack of transparency. They covered the problem with site neutrality. I'm like, okay, there are people on the Hill who get this and they are writing it up and they are, it's fully cited. It's a beautiful report. However, they're not lawmakers. So I think that's hopeful. Um, I actually have written each one of them a letter saying, how can we help you further these initiatives and there are also other agencies like the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission that works to enforce antitrust laws. We have worked with them on three or four occasions and have successfully blocked mergers. CMS seems to get it. They really want to see facility fees go away. They want to stop the vertical consolidation and consolidation in general. They promote site neutrality. Their hands are tied, though, because this is all written in law, but they get it. So are there enough folks on the Hill who know what's going down, they're not being bought off. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping beyond hope that 
they can get the ear of Americans and the Americans can start voting with their votes at the ballot box and getting some of the right people on, on the on the lawmaker side. That's, that's maybe Pollyanna, but I got to believe that can happen. Well, I'm, I want to suggest a couple of things for us to talk about in, in the solve. But before we get to the solve, I also want to get to more of the problem. I th- have this sickening cartoon image of recent, uh, let's call it lambastment, lambasting, um, calling the CEOs of the big pharmas and the PBMs in front of the right committees and lambasting them. My favorite quote was from one of the congressmen who said, sir, how do you sleep at night? And my sickening cartoon image is he's got a cartoon hand behind him taking healthcare money. So he's for playing to the peanut gallery, so he'll get his soundbite on NBC News, or maybe he can put it on, post it on his website. But at the same time, everybody knows it's just words and there's, they're harmless. There's no law, there's no bill, there's no real enforcement. And the thing that, that made me start thinking about that is our conversation we had where you told me 100% of both sides of the aisles voted in Ohio for transparency, I believe, I believe it was, and the governor vetoed it. That's true. You remember? Well, he didn't veto yeah. it. He didn't veto it. He hasn't let it pass into law. But he's, he's, okay, so, uh, yep, he's, he has stepped, uh, yeah, and that's, that's Kasich. He, uh, 100% bipartisan support, both sides of the aisle, transparency in pricing, and Kasich is clearly getting pressure by special interest to make sure this law does not go into effect, and he's doing a very good job of it. It is tied up. So here's the, here's the story I make up, and this is the, again, the cartoon image. I believe 100% of the people voted knowing they had cover from Kasich. So I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but I'm thinking, you can't get 100% of anything anywhere, anytime, anyhow. The only way you can do that is if you can tell them, look, your lobbying money doesn't stop coming in. Take your negative vote, play to the peanut gallery, tell your constituents you did, you gave it the good fight, but darn it, Kasich blocked you. Yeah, I can see what you're where you're coming from, and that could be true. Um, I I don't know. I, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to. I, I'm going up to cap, the Capitol on Sunday. Um, I'm meeting with Jim Banks' office when they've come out with a health care bill. Oh, gosh, it's the 503 or 506. I have to double check. But um, it is the Competition Act, and they are co- covering a bunch of things. This bill, and I told you about it, it's touching on site neutrality. It's touching on price transparency. It's touching on um, stopping consolidation and improving competition. And I, I, again, I thought it was a Christmas present when I first read it. And you, you said to me that, um, but Marnie, maybe that's just, you know, to appease a populace, even to make them look good in their eyes and say, oh, well, we tried and lost. And that's, that's possible. And I'm, I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it. If, you know, I'm going to go up there and turn over a lot of stones and ask a bunch of people a lot of questions. And that's where my journalism background comes in. I am, I've got part carrier in me. And I just, uh, I just go after this stuff. So we'll, we'll see. Well, Marnie, I want to turn this more positive because I don't want you to go home all sad and depressed today. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's talk about what's being done positively to support the independent physicians. There is a movement in Texas and Oklahoma I want to talk about for a second that there seems to be uh, ancillary services that are popping up in Texas the last 15 to 20 years that are very dominant in the country. So essentially, instead of sending out for a diagnostic test to a specialist, doctors, particularly primary care physicians, can do these tests and diagnostics and sometimes treatments in their own offices. I'm a case in point. 
we offer allergy testing and allergy treatment. It's totally within their scope of practice. Um, and everything seems to be very nicely working towards primary care, doing more and more ancillary services. The beauty of that is they can stay independent because the financial pressures and the volume pressures go away. A second movement that I see happening is DPC was not on the map. Well, 20 years ago, it was tiny, but it's 1,100 and growing strong. And, you know, you can say out a population of several hundred physicians, is that really moving the dial? And the answer is for those patients it is because they're getting five or six patients, 10 patients a day, not 25, 30 patients a day, you know, five-minute factory visits and visits. So DPC seems to be moving the dial on allowing patients to get an old-fashioned checkup, to get an actual sit-down visit to talk about secondary and tertiary concerns instead of just a primary complaint. Do you see other things happening that are supporting independent physicians that are some the entrepreneurial fringes of healthcare? Absolutely. I was just at a conference this week in Tampa, and it was for employers, but it was on how to get their costs down. And DPC was a big topic. And it's very promising. And these doctors are, are opting out of insurance plans and going direct to the employer. And the one example, and I've worked with this, this fellow before, but he's charging 65, a company with many employees, $65 per employee per month. And I think $35 for every additional family member or child or something. And um, he takes care of all their primary care, his group does. And they have agreements with laboratories and uh, x-ray or imaging facilities. So all these costs are covered and they're providing exceptional care. They're able to take the time so the, do- the patient doesn't have to go off to these specialists. Because as you know, in an employed doctor, they're getting, you know, people are clicking how many, how many doors they go in every day, how many patients they're seeing and how many referrals they're making and how many tests they're ordering to other uh, hospital-owned facilities, which get to tack on facility fees, so it's just a money-making machine. But these doctors really want to make sure the patient gets the care they need, and the, they're saving this company 95% in their healthcare costs, and the employees are ecstatic. So it's a total solution, and they're trying to replicate this model, and they are around the country. In fact, one of their clients I thought was so ironic is a hospital the Soto Memorial Hospital was on the on the panel, and they were talking about the fact that they're using this DPC model for their own employees. And the hospital employees are the are the stickiest, and they don't even want to go to through their insurance. They're doing it through the DPC channel. So I thought that, and they're an independent hospital, ironically. So anyway, there's hope out there for sure, and th- that is a very, very, very positive direction. I'm encouraging more doctors to go the DPC route. I had lunch yesterday with the CEO of a independent uh, primary care group that sees uh, over a thousand patients a day. So it's it's a mega group. Huge. And they have an arrangement. They're they're experimenting with a relation an arrangement that's actually very profitable for them, where they're charging sixty nine dollars a visit plus they get unlimited telehealth care. So all of the employees, there's no fee. There's no monthly fee. There's a user fee. So in other words. Instead of paying 50 bucks a month and nobody goes or 10% go, whoever shows up that's 69 bucks, healthy visit, sick visit, it doesn't matter. And they're making money doing this. And they also give them telehealth benefits, which they now can charge in their insurance for. So it's, it's turning into, there's all kinds of interesting DPC models that are 
don't look like just the plain vanilla 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 150 bucks a month for, you know, a select few. It's right. Um, it's not it's concierge medicine. It's different. And I, and you're right. It's amazing what you can save when you cut out the middleman. It just flattens everything. I mean, you don't need brokers. You don't need mm-hmm. uh, biller coders. Mm-hmm. There, there are several hospitals that I could name that have more biller coders than they have hospital beds. Well, most hospitals have more administrators than doctors. I think the ratio is 10 to 1. So who's yeah. and their only money that's coming in and the only revenue stream is written from it comes from the doctor's pen. So they have a lot of lives on their back and they have, and it's ridiculous. It's we're we're just so top heavy in this country. We need to get as you put it flatten this out. So let's talk a minute about transparency. Um, there was an article in the Houston Chronicle today and the Texas Hospital Association executive director interim made a statement that it hung himself. He said, you cannot publish pricing because it's not a binary uh, discussion. And what he's saying is, it's way too complex for you mere mortals to understand. It's quite complicated. And then I sent him, au contraire, didn't use these exact words. Here is the Oklahoma Surgery Center's pricing for about 800 different procedures, Mm -hmm. flat pricing for every test, every procedure you and I could probably name. And they've been publishing this for 10 years and they've been honoring this for 10 years. So you don't even have to like go in and get an estimate for a car. You just go and say, I'm going to pay the 8,000 for this surgery and you're done. And they're getting medical tourism in Oklahoma like they're getting it in Mexico or Canada. The, the, the people can actually travel to Oklahoma and have a much better outcome and have a, con- a consistent, reliable, solid pricing model that they know they can count on. No surprises, no facility fees. And um, so when the, when the hospital association is saying it's not a binary question, it actually is. If you've got a price or no price, that's your binary question right there. Right. So what do you think, what do you think of transparency initiatives? I think they're fantastic. And I'm a huge fan of the, the Oklahoma Surgical Center and the Free Market Medical Association that they founded out there and Kevin Smith's project. And I think it should get expanded and replicated. And yeah, you did exactly the right thing. The, that is the party line. Like it is just far too complicated for you all to figure this out. So, you know, don't even try. And then there was a law that went into effect, a federal law in January that hospitals had to make their prices transparent or post them in a, I think the, I think the language something was something like a computer readable format and literally hospitals put up computer code they literally have posted computer code. So when you try to find it, it's just, well, it's, it's computer, it's understandable to the computer. Um, they've done everything they can to obfuscate these prices and they will continue to until we just demand cash price. Cause the game is, I'm making this number up, but let's say you, you know, you want to get a colonoscopy and it's, you know, their, your insurance company says, well, you know, it's typically $3,000, but for you, it's 1100 because we've contracted this great rate, except that you have a $8,000 deductible. So even though it's 1100 instead of 3000 or whatever, it's, you still have to pay it. But if you walked in and before they, you hand over your insurance card, if you said, what is your cash price? It could be $600. So if you're still going to be paying it one way or the other out of pocket because you've got a high deductible, you're very often going to pay less if you ask what the cash price is up front. So ultimately, insurance com- insurance is going to be obsolete if, if they keep raising the 
premium and raising the deductible and raising the copay, pretty soon it's going to be we're all self-insured anyway. And there are some catastrophic plans that are very inexpensive that will cover you in case of the worst. So there are new models that this has to come crumbling down. Listen, I was listening to a $5 billion market cap CEO talk today about company culture. I asked one of the employees sitting behind me, what's your deductible? And she said $8,000. And I said, how do you feel about company culture when you can't use your insurance? And she just smiled and she goes, you get it. Employees, I don't care if they're top earners, they can't afford the deductible. They can't afford the deductible. 70% of Americans can't scrape together 1000 bucks, which means that a $7,000 or $8,000 deductible is almost a joke. I mean, it's, it's like saying, you know, do you want to win the lottery today? They know it's not going to happen. And it turns out that medical bankruptcy outstrips the other bankruptcy um, reasons. It's a six to one. 65% of all bankruptcies are medical bankruptcies. One in six Americans are paying some form of medical debt payoff, and they're being hounded. And the, and the debt collection laws have been loosened recently, so they can email and text them to scare them even more. So the problem with Doctors is actually the problem with employers, employees and patients, we'll call them the same thing, is they're getting hounded out of uh, reality. There, there is no reality anymore when you can't even call it insurance. It's now shareholder insurance. So how do you feel about that? Well, this whole, our whole healthcare system is decimating the middle class. It's decimating all of us. But the money that employers would like to give to their employees and raises they have to fork over to raising insurance premiums just to stay afloat. And I, when I talk to consumers and reporters, I say, hold out your fingers, hold out your hand. See those five fingers? Now take one of them away. One out of every $5 you earn is going to pay for health care, whether you ever see a doctor or not. That is a lot of money out of most household budgets. So how is it that if you never see a doctor, you're still paying one out of every $5. Well, you're paying it in your premium. You're paying it in taxes because a huge chunk of taxes goes toward paying for Medicare, which is going up right alongside of the private insurance products. You are paying it when you go to a restaurant or a store or any commercial business because they have to raise their prices to cover their insurance premiums to insure their employees. So it's a big shell game and we are all getting taken to the cleaners. So Americans should be furious. I think a lot of them say, well, I'm not going to worry about it since I don't go to the doctor or I'm not going to get sick or whatever. Well, you are, you should be worried about it because it is taking one out of every $5 that you earn. Okay. So we know the patients aren't enraged, but they're getting pretty, they're, they're, the Gallup polls tell us they're deeply, deeply concerned about health insurance. And some of them fear for losing their jobs if they miss work because they do get sick. So um, there is a giant movement towards Things like telehealth that make it easier to call in a pink eye for your kids so that you're not going to go have to sit in some Medicaid uh, exam room waiting for a doctor to see you for two hours. Telehealth is exciting. There's also wearables that are getting cheaper and cheaper so that you can actually get a diagnosis for the chronic patients for blood pressure readings and heart scans that are just amazing. Tech. There's literally shirts, watches, rings that we all know about. But the shirts, the technology that come out with cloth are actually reading your, your body scan. So it's the technology appears to be a, a solution, but it's not Superman. And Superman is not coming out of Washington, D.C. or your state capital. So what other solutions besides doctors changing the model to a DPC 
skip the middleman model or to having ancillaries like my company and others in Texas who seem to be giving them enough revenue to give them a runway to not have to be uh, selling to the corporate, uh, you know, to the hospitals. Um, there, there seems to be, um, they, doctors don't think they have a way out, but I think there's other ways out other than potentially DPC and ancillaries. So a lot of them are starting clinical research organizations. They're doing their research. Now they're on the take from the drug company, but at least they've got a side hustle that is commensurate with what they already know and can pay sometimes more than their practice. So that's kind of what I'm going for now is the side hustle at the side gigs. Yeah. So you've asked a few questions, but, you know, I think one thing is um, doctors need to fiercely protect their independence and make sure that they can call the shots. And even if they do take some contracted insurance and they do accept Medicare, they need to also accept straight, straight up cash and they need to all determine what their cash prices are. And I think that gives them, that allows them to be nimble. So a really nice example is plastic surgeons. They are a great example of how the free market should work. They don't normally do many things that are covered by insurance. So they're getting cash payments mostly for what they do. And the care and the quality of what they do is getting better and the cost is going down because there are other plastic surgeons around the corner and they, you can see what their prices are. You can find out what they're going to cost, charge you for various procedures. And there's no insurance involved. And it's a great example of our market at work. Cost is going down and quality is going up. And that's how we need to get back into a free market and start competing. And with these middlemen, yeah. So and when these middlemen get in the way and they triangulate the cash flow by taking the money that I would normally pay my doctor and put it through these systems of deductibles and premiums and authorizations. And that adds so much money and time to the procedure. And I'm sorry, I don't want to go, mother, may I please have 90 days on this prescription instead of 30 if I know I have to take it for a year. You know, I don't want to ask permission if my doctor tells me I need to take this for a year. Why do I need to go back every 30 days? Because the, hospital, the you know, insurance company needs to pre-authorize. So Keith Smith, Keith, I talked to Keith Smith on our show recently, and Dr. Smith said, when I asked him, hospitals are going to say, I've got complication issues. How am I going to even begin posting prices? Complications always happen. Rehab takes longer than you expect. Some people aren't as diligent. And he said, if you're a good surgeon, you don't have complications. And if you have uh, good compliance systems, patients are going to be compliant. They're going to want to get the very best he goes, so why would I have two different prices for complications and non-complications? Um, yeah, so let me ask you a couple of closing questions, and then I want to talk to you another time so that we can get in some other issues that we've talked about before. So if you had a message for everybody that could fly in a banner on an airplane over all of America, what would that sentence say? Well, when you go to your doctor or you're, or you're trying to find a physician, don't ask as your first question, do you take Aetna or do you take Blue Cross or whatever your insurance plan is? The first question you need to ask your doctor is, are you independent or are you employed by a private equity group or a hospital? Because if you go into a corporatized system, that will forever change your trajectory of care and quintuple your costs. And we'll all pay for that, including you. So the number one question every consumer needs to make sure they are going to see an independent doctor, because here's what happens. 
if I go, if you wreck your knee over the weekend and you go to a primary care doctor who's independent, he's going to refer you to an independent orthopedist who's going to refer you to a freestanding MRI facility to get a knee scan. And they're going to come back and say, oh, you need to, we need to do arthroscopic surgery. You're going to go to a freestanding outpatient surgery center. None of these will have facility fees. So your bill is going to be about $7,000. You push that over into an employed track. You see an employed primary care physician who's going to have to refer you to an employed orthopedist who's going to have to send you to a hospital-owned imaging center. And right there, your difference is $500 to $3,500, $500 independent versus $3,500 if you go to a hospital MRI scan. And then they're going to refer you to a hospital-owned outpatient surgery. So your cost is going to be $35,000. So your banner, to save to save money on all those letters on the banner, I think you're just going to say, see an independent doctor. Yes. Yes. And that's why, because you're going to have, it's going to compound. They have to refer you into the mothership. And they all keep layering on the facility fees, which, as you know, triple, quadruples, and sometimes makes it five to ten times more. So you want to stay out of that trap. Yeah, it's infinite. It's infinite. So let's... Um, for our independents that aren't a member of your association, how do people reach out to you, Marnie, and find your association to join? Yes, we're at www.aid-us.org. You can join online. We welcome doctors. It's $500 a year. We have a lot of benefits for those physicians as well as lots of information for health advocates, people who want to support what we're doing. It's $100 a year. And we, uh, we have 1,000 members in 39 states. We are growing and we are making a difference. So we'd like to welcome you to the cause. We're glad to have you running it too. Thank you, Marnie, for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, Help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.